Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final, and we have a final from spring training out at Camelback Ranch in Glendale, Arizona. It's the Guardians 11, the White Sox 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And we finally have some Guardians baseball to talk about. We've got two spring training games under our belt, not to mention a flurry of off of hot stove activity that the Guardians had absolutely nothing to do with. We will get into all of it. I know I was ragging on Major League Baseball last episode because it was because of the writers, all right, and the ESPN people and the MLB Network people. That got us so pumped for the, you know, the signing of the CBA agreement and all the free agent and trade activity that was going to come immediately after. And it took a while, but we got there, right? It's It's been a slow burn like baseball loves to do, right? Baseball loves being a slow burn. It was a slow burn through maybe the last two weeks, but the big names have pretty much all signed. As of recording this, I think Trevor Story is still out there. Conforto is still out there. But a lot of them have signed and or been traded or, you know, we're, we're pretty set going into, into what the 2022 season is going to look like. So we will get into that. We got some emails. In fact, I'm going to let an email kick things off this week because it's going to lead us directly into the conversation we need to have, which is what Chris Antonetti said when he joined the broadcast booth for the second inning of the very first Guardian spring training game. It's the key to this whole episode. It's the key to this whole offseason. Exactly what Antonetti said to Underwood in the second inning of that game. So let's hit the mailbag really quickly first because it's going to lead us right into that conversation. First, I want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Phil in Louisville. Uh, <laughs> Phil was very proud that his uh, threatened strike, his his threat to the owners that his fandom was in the balance, helped uh, get the uh, get the CBA signed. Uh, the owners and players cave. We left them with no room to maneuver. They clearly couldn't handle the threat of me reevaluating my love of baseball should another dreadful work stoppage occur. So, Phil, congratulations! Uh, I definitely your email your your voice was the one that definitely pushed it over the top. I love the enthusiasm, Phil. And then uh, we got to get to Chris because his email is going to lead us into this conversation. Um, so he says, I know the Guardian's front office usually waits out the market, but I'm still shocked and somewhat frustrated at the lack of Guardian's activity to this point. I just saw Luke Voigt, a potential upgrade at first base, was moved for a rookie league pitcher prospect in return. That's it. I still trust in Antonetti and Chernoff, so we'll have to see what moves they can make and how these next few weeks before opening day unfold. All right, so here's the thing, Chris. Antonetti literally answered your email, and he answered your email with this quote, and I got to give a shout-out to at tgriffith1992 on Twitter because he went back and he got the full quote from Antonetti and put out a couple of tweets, and capture the whole thing. So, Underwood teed up a question for Antonetti. And it was clearly 
it was clearly something set up by the marketing department, right? Like Antonetti's like, hey, I want to talk about this. Ask me this question. It felt like that. It felt like they definitely kind of set this thing up. But basically asking him about being the youngest team in baseball and adding veteran pieces. And Antonetti's answer was, that's really the biggest calculus for us is if we bring players in, who does that displace and who is that taking opportunities away from? Because we really do feel we have an exciting young team and we need those guys to play. And not only for this year, but as you start to think about the depth we have that's emerging from AAA at the major leagues and beneath that, we believe we have a great future in front of us and we don't want to put obstacles in guys' way. So we will continue to look at opportunities to improve the team, but we'll be deliberate on how we do that. Don't think this year's payroll, that's not the limiting factor for us. Okay. That is the quote, and that is a big, fat, juicy quote for us to sink our teeth into. So here's what I was thinking, and I was kind of texting this out with my brother while we were listening to the games, watching those spring training games, and there are, in baseball, right, there's kind of three ways to acquire talent, through the draft, through free agency, and through trades, and there's two ways to pay for that talent, there's two capital in baseball. There's money and there's prospects. Basically, what this quote is telling me is they've spent the last few years acquiring a really deep farm system. And they don't want to they want to see what they've got. They don't want to block a guy, right? If they went out and signed Castellanos, then does that stunt the growth of, you know, a Quan or a Gonz- Oscar Gonzalez becoming, you know, the next, all right, this is lofty, but Albert Bell, right? Or does that, you know, if you go out and get a second baseman, does that block an Owen Miller or a Gabriel Arias from becoming the next Carlos Baerga? But if you remember that monster 90s team, right, it was done through prospects, trading for prospects, it was done through the draft, Bell, Baerga, Lofton, Alomar, Ramirez, Vizquel, Tomi, these guys, they weren't established veterans that they went out and added. Eddie Murray was, right? They did supplement with a few veterans, Eddie Murray uh, or a Hershiser, Dennis Martinez. They did do that. But that core that you think of was homegrown. Whether they were prospects that were traded for like Lofton or Alomar or Bayerga, right, or guys that were drafted like like uh, Manny Ramirez, it was kind of grown through these prospects. And that's kind of the attitude they're taking right now. In case Stephen Kwan becomes the next great leadoff hitter, they don't want to go out and sign a Jock Peterson that would take at bats away from him. It, Antonetti literally says this in this quote. That's literally what he's telling you. He's saying... We want to see Gabriel Arias play. We're not going to sign a Trevor Story, even though the Trevor Story rumor never really made much sense. We're not going to sign a Trevor Story because we we want to see Andres Jimenez and we want to see Gabriel Arias play. We want to see them play on our field before we make a decision about them. And this is where I'm going to start to speculate because this is me reading into a little bit about the way they do business and this quote from Antonetti. And this is me 
kind of making an assumption about what the front office is thinking. They could right now go out and trade for somebody, right? But I think they feel that the way last season went, right? They were competitive all season. They were in it up until the end. And the way the pitching is, right? The pitching is finally healthy. Bieber and Plesak and Savali all seem healthy, ready to go for the season. They think they can probably stay competitive through the first few months of the season. So if they make it into July and they're still competitive, they're two, three games back in the division, they're in the mix of those three wildcard teams, then they now have four more months of data on those young players to make a decision. And if the choice is acquiring talent via free agency where they just have to shell out cash and a marked up version of that, right? Free agency is always going to be a little more pricey. Versus trading the other capital, which they have plenty of, which is prospects. They would probably rather spend prospects than straight up cash. Even if that player they're bringing in does bump the payroll up a little bit, that's what he's saying. Don't think this year's payroll, that's not the limiting factor for us. The limiting factor is who are these prospects and what could they be at the major league level? So, Four more months of data, right, through the spring training games and three months of the season. Even, you know, the trade deadline is into the end of July, so really four months of the season. They can really start to evaluate, or they'll have more data, because they love data, on Andres Jimenez, on Gabriel Arias, on Oscar Gonzalez, right? Guys like this to know, do they have a place here? Or should we be flipping these guys for an established Major League player? So, I wouldn't be surprised if they're more active at the trade deadline than they are right now at the beginning of the season. It just makes sense with the way the team is structured and the attitude that they have taken to this offseason. Do not expect them to sign Conforto. Antonetti just told you they're not doing that. Story, who else is out there? They're not going to be signing them and bringing those guys in right now. It is it is not a rebuild. This quote does not say we're rebuilding. It says this is a youth movement. We really, really have spent the last few years bringing in so much young talent and drafting young talent. We don't want to throw roadblocks up in front of those guys. So, yes, we could upgrade. But if we upgrade, if we went and got a Luke Voigt, that means we don't have time to figure out anything else about Bobby Bradley. We don't get more data on Bobby Bradley. Or Yu Cheng, or Owen Miller, whoever else is rotating in at first base. Nolan Jones, maybe, eventually. Right? We don't get information on them because we're playing Luke Voigt. Even if Luke Voigt gives us, you know, another two war, right? Wins above replacement. So that is the attitude of Antonetti, and he came on the broadcast, and he straight up told us. So this is one of the few times. Now, do I wish they would have said something earlier in the offseason so we didn't have to stare at Twitter for a week straight waiting for the Guardian's name to pop up? Yeah, that would have been nice, right? Would have taken a load off. But at least he's telling us now, and at least we understand now. At least we understand what this team is doing. 
that's my big rant. That's my big speculation. Remember, this is just my speculation, my interpretation of what's being said here. Um, so could he prove us wrong? Could they go out and make a trade tomorrow and prove all this wrong? Of course, they're a front office. They're Antonetti's job is to kind of be unpredictable. If you were to sit down at a poker table, you would not want to be sitting down to the left of Antonetti. He's too unpredictable. You wouldn't want to be sitting on either side of Antonetti. He's, he's too unpredictable. That's the job is to be a little bit unpredictable. Suddenly, the Guardians in com- were in conversation for Matt Olson. I believe those conversations were real, and I believe it probably sets up a future trade between the Guardians and the A's, even though the deal didn't get done, even though Olsen goes somewhere else, right? They now have an established baseline with the A's. Who knows what comes of that? One of the questions that uh, Chris in his email continues to ask, he said, do you think other front offices might be getting frustrated with the Guardians as trade partners since they typically place high value on their players and are very willing to walk away from a potential trade if it's not the ideal one? Don't get me wrong. I think they do an outstanding and incredible job with the payroll they're given. No, I don't think other front offices are getting frustrated trading with the Guardians. I think they like, I mean, look at all the trades with Cincinnati and San Diego that they've done in the last few years. How many times have the Guardians, they have won trades over and over and over again, right? Going back to like the mid-2000s with uh, Sinsu Chu and Azdrubal uh, uh, Cabrera from Seattle. Remember, we traded a platoon of first baseman in separate trades and got two cornerstone guys for the, you know, the second half of the 2000s. Right? Um, we were losing trades in the 90s, but since the 2000s. We've been winning trades, and uh, it's continued. I mean, the Corey Kluber trade, right? Who saw that coming? Apparently, the Cleveland front office did. When we went and got Mike Clevenger, and then when we traded Mike Clevenger, we won trades twice. But people keep trading with us. They're, they're really, they really do something right when it comes to trades, and I don't think other front offices are frustrated with us. I think we were in on some of those trades that were talked about this offseason, like Olsen. I think we were definitely in those conversations. But uh, I think that was more knowledge gathering for the Guardians front office to see what the level was from those other front offices around the league to see maybe for future moves. And if something had worked out, something had worked out. But yeah. It's it's been an interesting offseason. It's been a really fascinating offseason to understand what the Guardians front office is all about. All right. So, oh man, the offseason. We are going to get into the games. We have two spring training games to talk about. But quickly, the hot stove definitely heated up. And things have been crazy. I mean, just lately, Kenley Jansen finally just signed with Atlanta. Um, who else went recently? A lot of bullpen arms have been going. That's been the surprising thing from the Guardians. The fact that they just haven't brought in those veteran bullpen arms on that minor league invite to spring training, right? They do it all the time, and you get Oliver Perez's and Brian Shaw's out of it. They didn't do it this time. The 40-man roster is stuffed. It's stuffed. They put so many prospects on it. Guys like Jose Tena and Joensky Noel are taking up spots on the 40-man roster. Not that they don't deserve to be there, but they're very young. 
uh, they're probably going to be starting at double A and they're already on the 40 man roster, which limits the ability to add someone into that bullpen. So is the burden going to fall on some of these starting pitchers that haven't broken through the rotation? It might. Now, this also will be affected by the fact that there was an article by Scott Bordeaux on uh, the Guardian's website about the spring pitching plan. And basically, Carl Willis is like, we are going to handle these guys with kid gloves. Like, we are really going to baby these guys, maybe for the first month of the season. You're going to see guys piggybacking. You're going to see guys only going three innings. Shane Bieber on opening day might only go three innings which means a Tristan McKenzie might be able to piggyback off of him. With uh, a couple of off days mixed in there, I think for like the first two or three weeks of the season, they only need a four-man rotation. So they could go Bieber, uh, Plesak, Savali, Quantrill, and then they could piggyback McKenzie, um, Eli Morgan, some of these guys. I hate to say it, but Logan Allen. I know, I know. Um, could piggyback, you know, another three innings and then get into the bullpen. So uh, basically, Carl Willis is like, yeah, we're really going to. And it was funny because he said back in my day in the 90s, you know, when I was pitching, it didn't matter. We had guys that would go out there and throw five innings on the first day of spring training. Like we didn't care back then. But now we understand a little bit more. It's also interesting that it seems like a lot of pitchers are still getting injured. It feels like the injuries are going up the more they learn, right? That should be the opposite correlation. It just doesn't feel like this, unless we just weren't paying attention to it, because, hey, we were kids in the 90s. At least I was. I'm sure some of you, I know some of you weren't kids in the 90s. But I was a kid in the 90s, and I, I don't think it, these these injuries, I wasn't paying attention to it. it, it whoever was on the, day, the field that day, that's who I cared about. So, may, I don't know, maybe if the correlation of injuries to the way pitchers now spend spring training maybe they are having an effect but it seems like the injuries are going up and i mean how can you predict an injury like savali's sprained finger right you can't there's nothing you're going to do in spring training that's going to prevent aaron savali's sprained finger now shane bieber's shoulder fatigue yeah maybe if a guy has a bad back yeah right some of those back muscles very important in pitching those are the things you want to ease your way into. I get it. I get it. But the way they talk to us, the way they talk in these press conferences, it's like we get it. We all know, like, you know, what whatever your thing is. I, for me, it's old man softball. For you, maybe it's golf. You know, whatever. If you're if you're a golfer, you know you don't let it rip as hard as you can on that first tee. You're gonna throw your back out. You know you gotta ease into it. Maybe you go over to the driving range and hit a few balls. You know, you got to warm up a little bit. We all understand. We all do things. Uh, so I don't know the way they talk to us sometimes in these interviews and things like that. It's like, yeah, Carl Willis, we get it. We don't want the guys to get hurt either. So uh, the pitching is going to be interesting. So yeah, there might not be room on this 40 man roster for some of those veteran pitchers. So that's why they're not coming in. Um, Chris Bryant signs the huge contract with Colorado. Whatever Colorado is doing out there, they seem to be signing a bunch of people, but they, the pitching, it's always the pitching in Colorado that's their Achilles heel. Um, Corey Dickerson, possible outfield help, goes to St. Louis. Freddie Freeman with the big contract with the Dodgers. That one finally comes through if they've been talking about it all offseason. My God. Luke Voigt gets traded to San Diego. 
Um, that's after the, the Yankees and the Minnesota Twins do their big trade thing, which sees Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez now come into the Central Division. Then the Minnesota Twins go out and they sign Carlos Correa on a crazy three-year contract with an opt-out after every season, so much money. And the Minnesota Twins, they got to ask the question, what are they doing? They also traded for Sonny Gray from Cincinnati, so they do have an opening day starter now. But you got to think the pitching, I mean, even if the Minnesota Twins line up, they, they really might be trying to beat everybody 10-7, to 10-8 in every game, right? They might be perfectly willing to try to win a game 12-11. to 11. That's the kind of offense that they're putting together right now. And they just don't have the pitching to support it. So I don't know what the Minnesota Twins are going to be in this division. You feel like it's still the Guardians chasing the White Sox. You feel like it's the Tigers are still developing, even though they went out and signed uh, Javi Baez. The Tigers are still developing things there. It doesn't feel like they are a threat. Kansas City Royals are still kind of putting things together. It doesn't feel like they're a real threat. Um, and Minnesota, I have no clue. I this lineup could be murderer's row, but what's the pitching going to be? So the offseason moves have been flying like crazy. Olsen gets traded to Atlanta. Um, the Phillies went out and got... Did the Phillies just get Castellanos? Um, Jock Peterson goes to San Francisco. San Francisco also spends a little money on pitching. So yeah, it's been all over the place. And the Guardians have been quiet on all of it. So what an offseason this has been. Uh, the hot stove definitely did finally get hot. And there's still a few names out there. Like I said, Story is probably the big fish still out there. Although the splits, the home and away splits, uh, definitely tell the story of someone who's benefited from playing in Colorado. So what will Trevor Story be outside of the Rocky Mountains? I don't know. A league average player? Or is he going to be that all-star level player? That's the big risk anytime a guy leaves Colorado. And it'll be interesting to see what the impact is on Chris Bryant going to Colorado, right? Does it inflate Chris Bryant's numbers? Man, I, I it's almost insanity that like Colorado is such a major player in professional sports. Like the city itself, it's in such a unique location in the United States. And if you've never been, some of our international listeners, if you've never been, I've been out there to visit friends for weddings. I've been out there for a ski trip. And you get into the mountains, and you do get a little lightheaded. You, it does get a little hard to breathe. Um, I've had friends that have gone just out there for a visit, went on a hike, and had to go get oxygen because they literally uh, were getting sick just going for a hike, just just nature hike, you know, just walking some trails. Uh, the, the air does affect you, and I, it's shocking to me that you could just fly in and play a baseball game, or a basketball game, or a football game, or a hockey game for that matter. Like these sports where you're exerting so much in the thin air, it's shocking to me that like teams don't have to spend, uh, you know, three days in Colorado before the game's played just to acclimate to the conditions. Um, so it is it is crazy, but it does affect baseball. It seems to affect baseball the most. Um. You know, 
I mean, they're not chucking up uh, full court shots in the thin air. You know, maybe it would affect basketball, but it's, you know, you're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark in basketball or hockey or football for that matter. I wonder, I wonder if NFL quarterbacks can throw the ball 10 yards further in Colorado than they can anywhere else. Um, so, yeah. So what was that all about? Chris Bryant? Yeah. Chris Bryant and, and story coming out of Colorado. Uh, so stories out there, Conforto's out there. I'm sure there's a couple more names out there, but the guardians are set. So let's get into the guardians because they played two games. We kicked things off against the reds as per tradition at Goodyear ballpark, where we share the field with them and the guardians squeak out a three to two win over the reds. I say squeak out because they had to. Uh, they came back down to nothing and scratched out three runs over the next four innings. But in actuality, the Guardians' pitching has been really sharp. Now, do not read too much into these games because the major league pitchers have not started playing in games yet. I got to imagine by the middle of this week we're finally going to start to see them, but we have not seen them yet. In fact, McCarty is pitching today for the Guardians. Um, Four o'clock Cleveland time, Eastern time, wherever you are in the world. I hope you get a chance to check it out, listen to it. I think on MLB TV, it's like all free right now. Like if you go to MLB's website, you probably can watch it depending on where you are in the world. But uh, the pitching has actually been really sharp. I mean, the Guardians pitching factory, the Cleveland pitching factory does it again. And this time with Tanner Tully in the first game against the Reds. He goes three innings, no hits, no runs, one walk, and four strikeouts to start things off for the Cleveland Guardians in spring training. And it was a really sharp performance from the Ohio State lefty, my alma mater. So obviously I've got a root for him. And he's someone that's in 2019 and 2021 has split time between Akron and Columbus, weirdly in 2019 and again in 2021. You would think once you make that jump to AAA, Maybe you'd stick at AAA. Nope, he went back down to AA and then had to climb back up to Columbus. Uh, probably going to start, you would assume, start the season in Columbus as one of the starters down there. It did not go too well for him both times he's made it up to AAA, but let's see if he starts the season there, what it'll be like. Um, he's not a heavy strikeout guy, which is um, something that you see a lot from Guardians pitchers, right? He only averaged 7.73 Ks per nine in 2021, split between the two levels. 2.55 walks per nine, so it's 3.03 strikeouts per walk. An okay, an okay number, but not like Guardian starter levels. So we'll see, do those strikeouts come up? I mean, he had four strikeouts in three innings, which is a really good sign to start spring. He's a lefty. He throws that slider to the righties, and he had a nice sharp break to that and uh, throws a changeup when the lefties are up. So it's a similar pitch setup. We've seen the same thing from Sam Henches, uh, but he was making it work. He was really throwing that slider sharply and has a nice start. And then the, uh, the Guardians lineup was able to scratch across some runs here. We finally get things going in the fourth. After Senzel doubled and drove in two runs, Yu Chang with a double that brings in Fermil Reyes to score the Guardians' first run. Then in the fifth inning, Richie Palacios, now the second wave of guys, is coming into the game. He, on a single ground ball to right field, drives in Ernie Clement. 
And then in the seventh inning, Gabriel Arias singles on a ground ball to left field, and Brian Rocchio comes in to score the go-ahead run, the eventual game-winning run. So a nice, solid game there from the Guardians. Nothing too explosive offensively. Ernie Clement goes two for two on the day. He came in and subbed in at third base. Like I said, Chang uh, with the big hit probably from the starters. They put together a nice rally there in the fourth inning where Fermil Reyes walks. Uh, Bradley Zimmer uh, gets a single, and then Yu Chang with the double to drive in the run. So, a nice start for the Guardians. And then in the second game, it's definitely the B-Squad game. I mean, you've got Quan starting in center field. Jimenez at shortstop. Owen Miller at first. Maley is catching. Daniel Johnson, remember, he's back as an invite player this time. Out in right field. Ernie Clement got the start at second. Gabriel Arias got the start at third, interestingly enough. Uh, so they're moving Arias around to see where he might fit. Oscar Gonzalez, who we almost lost, but was able to like, pass through waivers, and we've got him back on an invite. Oscar Gonzalez, who led the minor leagues in home runs last year, definitely someone to keep your eye on. Definitely. Him and Quan, I think, are the two guys to keep your eye on, possibly winning a starting job uh, in the outfield for us. And then Palacios got the start in left field, and they they just lit up the Chicago pitching. My God, we get into the fourth inning, and they just let it roll. After a few, there were a few, uh, you know, pitches that were fought off to the opposite field with two strikes for a hit, and a few bloops that kind of dropped in there. All of a sudden, they just let it rip. Luke Maley with this RBI single. Daniel Johnson with a sack fly. Ernie Clement with a sack fly. Now there's two outs, and the hits really start coming. Oscar Gonzalez with the RBI double. Steven Kwan with an RBI single. Andres Jimenez with an RBI single. Owen Miller with an RBI single. And then Luke Maley finishes the scoring with an RBI double um, to make it 9 nothing, So Maley starts and ends. Doesn't start and end the rally, but starts and ends the scoring. The RBI getting uh, for the Guardians rally. Uh, so one heck of a game. We end up finishing this thing out 11-2 over the White Sox. And man, that B-Squad lineup, they just came out swinging. Quan scores two runs. Jimenez scores two runs. Owen Miller goes three for four with two runs scored and an RBI. What a showing. Maley goes two for three with two RBIs and a run scored. So they just let it rip. And Oscar Gonzalez with two big RBIs for himself. So Gonzalez got hits in back-to-back days. That's nice to see. And Owen Miller in the three-hole here, uh, kind of the veteran of this B-squad lineup here, uh, definitely made it a little further than some of these other minor league guys did. So he kind of was the leader out there. And Definitely led by example, three for four with two runs scored and an RBI. So it was some fun baseball for the Guardians to kick things off this spring. Like I said, we haven't seen any of the pitchers yet, so don't read, never read too much in the spring training. But hey, we are here to talk about the games on the field, and some guys showed up. Some guys showed up and played some good baseball to kick things off. So MVP for the week. If you haven't listened to the show before, it's a segment we're going to do all season long. We do MVP for the game during the season because we talk in detail about every game. So for spring training, we do MVP for the week. And on the pitching side, I've got to give it to Tanner Tully for that fantastic start to kick things off for the Guardians. Really sets a tone for Guardians starting pitchers in these spring training games. 
And on the offensive side, Owen Miller for the big three for four day in the three spot for that B squad playing in that second spring training game. Owen Miller is going to get MVP for the week on the offensive side of things. So a real fun start. Like I said, the game today should be televised on the MLB TV apps or the phone apps or whatever you got. You sh- you might be able to get it online depending on where you are. We're going up against Oakland, and we got Kirk McCarty on the mound uh, to start things off for the Guardians. So a real fun start. I watched a little bit of the uh, Friday game. I listened to a little of the Saturday game. I'm pretty sure every announcer I listened to at some point slipped up and said Indians instead of Guardians. So, I mean, even Hamilton, I think I heard slip up. Uh, the White Sox guys didn't even care. They just blew right through it. I think they said Indians like 10 times throughout the broadcast. All right, that might be a little bit of exaggeration, but they said it a bunch and they just, they're like, ah, well, by the time we get to the regular season, we'll figure it out. Um, so that adjustment is still taking a little bit of time. I mean, I get it. I've slipped once or twice on the podcast, but we really should be getting this right. They are the Guardians. We, we, they, they're professional broadcasters. You'd think they'd be getting that right. Um, so the Guardians kick things off 2-0 to start spring training, and we will see how this week goes. We'll see... Once Terry Francona starts to make alterations to his A and B lineup, that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested to see how an Oscar Gonzalez looks starting next to Miles Straw. I'm interested to see how Stephen Kwan looks out there, maybe leading off with uh, Ahmed Rosario and uh, Jose Ramirez hitting right behind him in a lineup, right? I'm also interested, another news, there's so much that happened in this week. There always is in these spring training weeks. Uh, Terry Francona straight up said, pencil in Jose Ramirez on the three hole. Uh, that, guy, that guy is the leader of our team. We're not trading him. Terry Francona also said that Ahmed Rosario was going to split some time between shortstop and left field. It makes sense. I have no clue if they gave Ahmed Rosario any instructions to work on left field uh, during the offseason. It seems crazy to me. Crazy to me that if you want that guy to make the transition to left field, was he playing winter ball out there, right? Was he playing any left field in any variation of winter ball? Getting some experience during this lockout, during this offseason? Or were you literally waiting for these three weeks in spring training to say, all right, grab a glove, go out there to left field, see what you got? I, they did it with center field last year. It didn't work. I think left field, it's interesting because left field, there's less pressure, I think, on you. But center field, you actually get a better view of the spin, right? You don't have to deal with those balls that are diving towards the left field line and that big side spin on the ball when somebody hooks a pitch and drives it into the corner, right? That spin's a little hard to pick up sometimes. Whereas center field, you get a pretty good read on where that ball's spinning, where that ball's going. Uh, So will left field be a struggle for Ahmed Rosario? Man, if Ahmed Rosario can make left field work, that opens up so many possibilities, right? For Jimenez, for Arias, for Owen Miller, for Chang, it opens up so many possibilities uh, on the infield. So we'll see what happens there. There is a lot of baseball coming our way, so I hope you can figure out a way to see it or listen to it or check in on it. I'll be throwing out tweets at Davey Barris as much as I can, as much as I can sit down and enjoy these spring training games, and we will be back next weekend to continue talking about 
everything Cleveland Guardians spring training, everything Cleveland Guardians baseball. So before we get out of here, I am going to let the rest of Chris's email sneak in there. He did have one more question in his email. He said, at the moment, the bullpen is credibly young and unproven before the annual minor league deals for the likes of veterans such as Blake Parker, Oliver Perez, and Brian Shaw are invited to camp. They might not be. Of the following group, Chris asks, Anthony Ghosh, Sam Henches, Trevor Steffen, who do you see making the biggest step forward in 2022? I see Anthony Ghosh. I think Anthony Ghosh is key to this bullpen. If that guy can get 50, 60 appearances out of the bullpen, that is going to be huge for the back end of our bullpen, right? He has a chance to be a real dominant force out there in the back end of the bullpen, seventh inning, eighth inning guy. So I really think Anthony Ghosh taking that step and really cementing himself as someone who could pitch in the major leagues that is going to do wonders for our bullpen. I think he can make the biggest step forward. So thank you, Chris, for the email. If you want to email into the show, Mornings at gmail.com. The spring training games are perfect for it. We got lots of time to talk about all of your thoughts. So go ahead, send in your email, send in your thoughts, send in your responses to my whole theory about the trade deadline and holding on to prospects and what the Guardians could be doing. And if there's anything in these games the next week that sparks your interest, go ahead and hit me up. All right, that is all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from spring training. It was the Guardians 11, the White Sox 2. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.